<laughs> what was that? Hey guys, what's up? It's been a while. It's been a little bit. I'm a mess, guys. So, what's up, guys? It's been a hecking, hecking time. It's been a heck of a week and a half. Oh my gosh, Lord. <laughs> Being honest, y'all, it's been a very crazy week and a half for two weeks. Two Has weeks. It's been two weeks. I don't even know. I've lost track of time. Two weeks. It's been insane. I can't go into every single thing because there's just a lot, and a lot of it is also just personal, family things that are just going on. That's just a lot. Yeah. Um. But basically, my parents went to Colorado last Tuesday. No, the Tuesday before last. Yeah. And they were gone for, from Tuesday to Sunday, and so Holly and I were in charge of the kids. Well, Holly and Gracie both got sick. <laughs> like, you probably had COVID, but tested negative for COVID, so Pretty probably sure had the flu. 100% was COVID. So, uh, yeah, so that's why we didn't do a uh, podcast last week, was because Holly was sickly, and I was like, I ain't gonna get sick, so I, I was like, you get to stay in your room, and we're not gonna record this week. Which is probably good in the long run because I want the next series to start off really well. And I feel like the timing of it has played out really nicely, especially just with our schedules that we'll be able to start the next series pretty well next week. Um, hopefully, depending on what happens this week. But it's just been a lot, and so we're really sorry for that. But I am excited to go into um, Revelation today. Um, it's so interesting. It's so good. Um, but... Yeah, these next few weeks just may be crazy. Just putting it out there. Who knows what's going to happen. We may be doing some last-minute traveling. Um, I don't know what's happening. A lot of things are going on, and so we have to kind of play it by ear. So hopefully we get to start a new series um, next week. But if not, we will do our best to get it done soon. Just want to put that out there. If you could be praying for my family, that would be amazing. There's just a lot going on. Um That's basically it. So, we got Revelation, the apocalyptic book of the New Testament. Mm Daniel is also another apocalyptic book in the Old Testament. And parts of Ezekiel, some parts of Isaiah, some parts of one of the other prophets. Joel has a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we got the we got the fun stuff today. We're actually at our church right now. We're doing going through Revelation. We're going through the letters of Revelation, the letters to churches, which Holly will talk a little bit about today. We're gonna try not, not to really, take but, eighty yeah. years, but um, we might though. We may, but hopefully we don't, because that's a lot of years. So basically, I'd be a hundred and six. You'd be dead. You're dying at fifty. <laughs> okay. Okay, Holly. Take us away. Revelation. Okay. So, the intro to Revelation is a little bit because you kind of need to understand some things before you understand Revelation. Yeah. Um, so, it's written by John. We're pretty sure John, the Apostle John. Um, and he wrote it, be- well, not because. He wrote it while he was exiled to the island of Patmos because all of the writers are exiled in one yeah at some point (laughs) so john was on this island and he had a vision from jesus so i think the the more correct way of of naming revelation is like look at it more as like the revelation of 
of Jesus rather, or revelations of Jesus rather yes. than like revelation because it makes more sense if you think of it that yeah, way. Yeah, that's good. Um, so revelation is apocalyptic literature and it's a type of Jewish literature that we already talked about as like Ezekiel, Daniel, all of those things. Um, but what's important is that people think that apocalypse means the end of the world, but that is actually not what it means yes. at all. Um, it means to yeah, uncover or to reveal. And it's like when you see the true nature of something that you couldn't see before. Um, so it actually does not mean anything like most people think that it means. Um, so we have like our own ways that we view the world. Um, that, but this can limit or blur our vision to see it clearly. An apocalypse is like a revelation on how you see something. So in the Bible, an apocalypse is when God like pulls back the curtains and reveals to someone what is really going on, but from a divine perspective. Um, for example, let's take like the prophets Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or even the apostle Paul. Um, God pulls back the curtain to reveal a heavenly perspective on their current like earthly situation. And so that is what apocalyptic literature is um revelation is a letter sent to seven churches and seven is a super important number and it means completeness um and john has pretty much plastered seven the number seven everywhere in this book which you will find out um and john kind of gives us a clear way on how he wants us to understand this book um jewish apocalypse is communicated through symbolic imagery and numbers it's not some secret code that we have to figure out. Um, he's actually like using these symbols um, that are drawn from the Old Testament, and he expects the reader to understand what the symbols mean by looking up the text he's referring to. Um, so there are a lot of things that he talks about that we also see in the prophets, like Daniel, for example. Um, the beast shows up randomly throughout the Old Testament, which we will get to later. So that is kind of the intro. Let us jump right into it. So... Chapters 1 through 3 is a message to the seven churches. So um, while John was exiled, he saw this vision um, of Jesus as king of the world. And Jesus was standing among seven burning lampstands. And John is told that this is a symbol of the seven churches in Asia Minor, Asia Minor which we already know from Zechariah chapter 4. Um, Jesus starts addressing the problems that each church has. I'm not going to get super deep into the letters because it's a lot, but if you want to know... Yeah. Look up the sermons for Church, Church, of, the, of, the Church city. of the City Franklin, a word to the church is the series. We just finished the third letter today. Yeah, they're going through each letter every week, it's like so deep dive, which I'm not going to do. So if you want to listen, go check that out. Um, so basically, some churches were struggling with moral, moral issues and problems within the church. Others were still faithful to Jesus, and he was dealing with like harassment and violent persecution with those churches. So Jesus warns that things are going to get worse, and the churches will have to choose between compromise and faithfulness. Um, compromise being like bending to, bending the knee to the Roman ruler so they don't have to suffer persecution, which some churches did. Um, Jesus calls them to faithfulness so that they can conquer. And con- the word conquer really comes up a lot in the book of Revelation. Um, so he, even he being Jesus, promises a reward for everyone in the churches who choose to conquer. Each reward is, is like John, drawn directly from the book's final vision, which Emma will talk about later, um, about the marriage of heaven and earth, which yes. we talk about a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, and then this opening part is kind of what sets up the whole main storyline in the book, and it makes us ask some really interesting questions. Questions like, will God's people pull through and be faithful? 
I don't know. Will they inherit the new earth that God promises? Will they? Will they? Will th- why Thank do we relate faithfulness with conquering? I don't know, but we will answer your questions, hopefully. Okay. Chapters 4 through 5 is the throne of God, which we also see in Isaiah 6, Ezekiel chapter 1, and Daniel chapter 7. Um, so this is kind of where John is like expecting you to already kind of understand what he's alluding to because they have already talked about it. Past prophets have already talked about this. So surrounding God on his throne are creatures and elders that represent all creation and human nations, and they're just bringing glory to God and worshiping him. Um, and God's hand is a scroll that is closed with seven wax seals, and it symbolizes the message of the Old Testament prophets and the sealed scrolls of Daniel's visions, which we read in Daniel 7 and I think a few other places in Daniel also. Um, the message of the prophets is also a, sim- a symbolic thing from the scroll, and it's about how God's kingdom will come here fully on earth as in heaven, which you read a lot in Revelation. Um, but it turns out that no one can open the scroll, and John like weeps about this, which is really sad because he just really wants to know what's inside it. Um, but then John gets told, um, like it quotes, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and, and its seven seals, which is chapter 5, verse 5. So the lion of Judah can open it. The root of David can open it. Um, and these are actually classic Old Testament descriptions of the Messianic king, who we know as Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus is the one that can open the scroll. Um, and this is what this is what John hears the Lion of Judah and the Root of David, but then he, like, turns, and what he sees is something completely different. Um, He's actually seeing a sacrificed bloody lamb who is alive, standing there and ready to open the scroll. So we know that Jesus is the sacrificed lamb because of the New Testament, so that is what he's looking at. Um, So John is saying that the promise from the Old Testament in God's future kingdom was initiated through Jesus' crucifixion, which is the symbolic image of the slain lamb that we are seeing in Revelation. Um, So Jesus overcame his enemies by dying for them so that they can be uh, redeemed. But because of the resurrection, the cross was not a defeat. It was him conquering all of evil. Um, So this vision ends with the lamb sitting next to the one sitting on the throne, and they are being worshipped as the creator and redeemer, and then the lamb begins to open the scroll. Um, So this kind of begins the cycle of sevens. So we got seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Each cycle is a picture of God's kingdom and justice coming to earth. What I think is really interesting is some people think that the three sets of seven represent like a linear sequence of events that either could be happening now or could have happened in the past or will happen in the future when Jesus returns. Um, but the Bible, the Bible project describes it the best, I think, in, in the sense of they say the three sets of seven are kind of like nesting dolls. Each seventh contained yeah, to the good. next seven. And so it's more likely that John is using each set of seven to describe the same period of time. Um, so in chapter six, well, six through eight is kind of the seven seals. So um, the lamb begins to open the first four seals of the scroll. And John sees four horsemen, which is the same imagery we get from Zechariah. And they symbolize periods of war, conquest, famine, and death. The fifth seal shows the murdered Christian martyrs standing before the throne who are crying out to God saying, like, how much longer is this going to last? How much longer until you bring justice? And they are told to rest a little bit longer because more Christians are going to die. Um, But we aren't really told why. We're just told that it's not going to last forever, but it's going to happen. So the sixth seal is God's response to the cry of the martyrs, and he brings the day of the Lord, which we find in Isaiah 2, and I 
Joel chapter 2, I believe. Um, and then chapter 7, John pauses. He kind of takes, like, an intermission, which he does a few times. Yeah, um, that's typical John. And he, like, pauses, and he sees an angel with this, like, signet ring. So, you know, like, they do the wax stamps with the rings. That's what this is. Um, the angel is going to use that ring to put a mark of protection on God's people who are going to go through all of this crap. Um, and so uh, this is where the whole 144,000 of them um, comes into play, that whole part. And 12,000 12, from each tribe of Judah. And this is like a military census. It's not just like random people. It's like God's army, basically. And so this is what he hears again. But then he turns and sees something completely different, just like the last time. And he sees the slain lamb once again. So what he's seeing is the army of God's kingdom. It's made up of people from all nations fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. And it's people who can stand before God because they have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And the lamb is leading them into this battle, spiritual battle. Um, so now these people are called the conqueror, but not by killing all their enemies, but by bearing witness and suffering just like Jesus the lamb did, which is, I think, a beautiful picture. Um, and then the seventh seal is now broken, and there is incense that out. Well, there is an <laughs> incense altar that symbolizes the cries of the martyrs, and it is cast into the earth, bringing the end to the day of the Lord. So now we get into kind of the last section that I will be talking about, um, and this is the seven trumpets. And so John kind of backs up a little bit and tells the story all over again, but this time he uses images from the story in Exodus. And the first five trumpet blasts were a replay of the plague sent down on Egypt. So we got hail, blood, poison, water, darkness, and locusts. Um, so it's kind of like a redo of the whole story in Exodus. Um, the sixth trumpet is the four horsemen from the last four seals. And then John informs us that just like in Exodus with Pharaoh, despite all of these plagues, the nation still did not repent. So John kind of takes another intermission. And an John angel... Does. An angel brings the scroll and tells John to eat it and proclaim it, which is funny because they did the same thing with Ezekiel. Yes, I love this story. Yep. So, um, well, I don't know. It would be weird to me just, like, eating the Bible and be like, okay, I ate it. Now let me proclaim it. Well, what's interesting, sorry, I'm totally butting in, is that in culture, like, in Israel today, because, like, it talks about in the Bible how, like, the word of the Lord is, like, sweet like honey. And so rabbis will go into like little like kids classrooms and they'll give them honey off of a honeycomb like pure honey to like kind of help them understand that this is what the word of the lord is like it's like this sweet natural flavor of honey which i think is so cool they should make honey flavored bibles so if you lick it it tastes like <laughs> anyway that'd be interesting okay um so now we kind of take a different turn a little bit to the rest of the book because chapter 11 is a little bit different um and because we're still in the intermission john pauses again um and so what happens is is that god calls two witnesses and it could either be two specific like prophets or it could be two churches because they're described as lampstands and we know from the beginning of the book that the lampstands are a symbolic Thing to a church so it could either be two prophets or two churches we don't really know um but their job is basically to call out the idolatrous nations and rulers and be like y'all need to turn back to the one true god or else it's not going to be good for you 
But then, out of, like, nowhere, this, like, really terrible beast appears. And if you've read Daniel, he's already been described in Daniel chapter 7. Um, and the beast actually conquers the two witnesses and kills them. So the witnesses are now dead. But then, God says, joke's on you. I'm bringing them back to life. And the end result is nations repenting and coming back to God and giving him all the glory. So then the scroll reveals that the scroll basically reveals that the church's mission is to imitate the sacrifice of Jesus. So not by killing their enemies, but by dying for them, which is exactly what Jesus did. Um, and God's mercy shown through his followers, followers will bring repentance to the nations. And then the last trumpet sounds and God's kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. And so now we know how the church is going to bear witness to all of the nations and inherit the new creation. But. Who was that terrible beast that we just thought that we just talked about? Emma, who is it? Well, can, let me get into my thing. So, we kind of have an idea of who the beast is because John has a few different signs. And I remember recently, Holly and I read the New Testament in 30 days. It was really hard. And we both got really behind. So, at the very end of the reading, like... <laughs> And then he said we were reading like five books a day and we were like, we're dying. But we learned so much. we learned so much. We just don't know where anything is. I just wouldn't do that. But Revelation, was it was my first time really reading through the book of Revelation. That's kind of one of those taboo books. I think in the Bible, like, we're like, why did we put this in here? (laughs) Like, I feel like that's what it is. And so I remember reading the second half of Revelation, which is what I have. And I was just so interested and wanted to understand because I feel like we give Revelation a really bad rap because we're like, it's the end of the world. And as Holly said, it's not necessarily that. But there's a lot we can learn and a lot we can see of where this applies to our world today. So um, basically, this is divided into a number of different parts. And so the first little part, I guess, like the Bible Project calls it the signs. Um, and so basically, this chapter is 12 through 14. And so the first um, sign is in chapter 12, and it's called the Cosmic Battle. Um, and, and, in my Bible, it, it's called the woman and the dragon, but the whole part is called the cosmic battle and it's based on Genesis three fifteen, which talks about the serpent. And so the same beast that we were just talking about is, um, the serpent or the dragon. Basically the serpent represents all evil who is portrayed as a dragon attacks a woman and her seed, which the women represents um, the Messiah and all of his people. And the serpent attacks the Messiah and all his people. And so um, in the end, basically, it says that um, the Messiah defeats the dragon with his death and resurrection. And so then, because the Messiah defeats the dragon, the dragon inspires hatred and persecution to the Messiah's people, basically to destroy them, to hate them, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the people conquered the dragon by resisting temptation even through death. And so that's kind of representing martyrs and how they die for um, the Messiah, um, which I think is still still an issue for today. And so um, basically John talks a lot about places like Rome and Babylon and those kind of things. And although he at that time he was speaking about that nation in particular, it is more so the characteristics of the nation that I feel like we need to kind of take into consideration today. So basically, neither Rome or any nation, and we'll kind of talk about what the nations really represent later, but neither Rome or any nation is the real enemy. It's the dark spirits that walk through those nations that make those nations evil, and the dark spirits represent the devil. And so it's not necessarily that Rome 
in itself is evil. It is the spiritual warfare that happens within Ro- Rome that makes it evil. Um, and we're going to get into spiritual warfare in a later podcast. I'm really excited whenever we do that. But I think it's going to be really good. So, second chapter in my little thing is uh, chapter 13, which is called The Earthly Battle. And it's based on Daniel's chapter 7 through 12, which is a heck of a, heck of a part of the book, Daniel. Um, and so basically, there's two beasts now. Um, one symbolizing military power, and the other symbolizing an economic machine. And basically, both demand full allegiance to the nations by taking the mark of the beast on their forehead or arm. And the number is 666, um, which is very clearly the devil's number. It's kind of hilarious at this point. I think on Pinterest, I had like 666 <laughs> followers. And I was like, you need another one! <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> um, but basically... Um, the number 666 is, is very, very interesting. So in, um, Israel culture, there's something that we, in our family, we like to, we, we kind of laugh at. It's called the Shema and it's based on Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. I'm actually going to pull that up actually, because it's a really, really great, um, verse. So it's something that the Israelites recite. It's a prayer they recite. I think it's at, it's three times a day, one in the morning, one in the middle of the day, and then one in the evening. And basically what it says, it's, <laughs> see if I can pull it up, I should have been prepared for this earlier. Basically it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, and so love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. All that fun stuff. That's the Shema. Um, and it's really important. And what Israelites would do is that they would um, write the Shema on their forehead and they would write it on their arm to symbolize their allegiance to God. And so what these um, two beasts are basically saying is they want the anti-Shema. They want the sign of the devil um, in allegiance to them on people's foreheads and arms. And um, what's also very interesting about the Hebrew language is that numbers also represent words in the Hebrew language, which is so cool. And so basically, the numbers 666 represent Nero Caesar. So that's like, Caesar was a really, really bad man. Really, really bad man. And so that's interesting. And it also represents the word beast. And so the reason why they had them put it on their heads and their wrists is to um, to say have the people say that they're in full allegiance to the beast, which is the devil. Um, and so Nero is an example that nations become beasts when they show their own economic and military power as gods. And so that's kind of when we pull in this whole idea of the evil cities. Um, Babylon was a big example in Daniel's day and goes for later, for any later nation that does the same. And so any nation in America, um, that show their own (laughs) economic and military power as gods, that is them showing full allegiance to the beast. Very interesting. America's not the only one, but it's a good example in our, our day and age. Um, and so that is what is represented by that one. So we got chapter 14. So the first little part is called the Lamb's Army. And basically, the Lamb's Army, it's just God's army, is opposed to the beastly nations into the dragon, which is talked about in chapter 12. Um, and basically, it talks, it's, it's like, it's five verses long. Um, basically, it talks about how the eternal gospel calls everyone to repent and worship God. So that's kind of that whole thing. And the second part of chapter 14 is the final justice. Basically, it talks about uh, three different things. So the first thing is the grain harvest of God's people. So that basically means when Jesus comes back, he takes his people um, and takes them to heaven. Then there's the grape harvest of humanity's people. And so basically how they make wine back then is they would step on the grapes. That's still the thing today. But, you know, 
visceral culture. So basically all of the evil people will be trampled on by God. He will smush them like grapes. And then the last thing is kind of a question. And it's, as Holly said earlier, this is Revelation written for the seven churches, also kind of written for us. Um, but are they going to resist Babylon or any of the evil nations that take on their own gods and use their economic and military power as gods? Are they going to resist that kind of way to follow Jesus? Or are they going to follow that way of life, follow the beast, and suffer its defeat? So the next part of Revelation is um, chapters 15 through 16, and it is the seven bulls. So Holly talked about this earlier, seven, very important number, blah, blah, blah. So basically talked about the excess plagues, Holly talked about that. And the Bible Project kind of briefly skips over the first, first five and goes to the sixth one, which talks about um, the dragon, the beast, to create chaos and war, which is called Armageddon. And so that's kind of a scary turn off that people were like, oh my gosh, Armageddon. Uh. <laughs> Some people believe that it's actually a... Um, like it's going to be a war that actually happens. It's actually a location in Israel. And so people think that there's going to be a war that happens there. We don't really know what Armageddon is going to represent quite yet. We just know it's going to be chaotic and war zone and just a lot. But it's, Armageddon is a location of many of the Israelite battles and it's a symbol of rebellious nations. Then the seventh bull comes around and basically that's when God um, takes away the evil and is like, yo, yay. I can. It's going to be good. Yay. So evil is taken from the nations overall. Chapter 17 through 19, the first part of 19, is the fall of Babylon. And so basically there is an angel that shows John a stunning woman who is dressed like a queen. But that woman is drunk on the blood of the innocent. And it's called Babylon the prostitute. And that's like pretty harsh because, you know. What an image. I know. And so basically this whole part is a blend of Old Testament images describing Babylon, Tyre, Edom, all these really evil nations. Um, And the blood of the innocent represents the martyrs of those who lived a life for Jesus and were killed because of their beliefs. And so then John kind of talks a lot about Rome. Um, And it shows how Rome is the then time of Babylon. It's a portrait of the human condition of human history. Um, So it's really, really sad. And in chapter 18, there's this really, really gorgeous lament um, where it's like John being really sad that like, you know, Babylon has totally fallen away um, from the from the wonderful word of God. And so Babylon is going to die. Um, Basically, chapters 19, the second half of 19 through 20 is called the final battle. Um, and so this is in three parts. There's the final battle one, the martyrs vindicated, and then the final battle two. So final battle one, it talks about, again, the sixth bull. And so Jesus appears riding on a white horse, and he's covered with blood before the battle even begins. And it talks about how he has the sword of his mouth. Um, what's interesting is that Holly and I this morning learned about what the sword of the mouth means and what the double-edged sword means in that Greek and Roman culture, which means that uh, when an emperor had that symbol, that they were the only ones that could justify life or death, but death, not death. Um, so basically, <laughs> what or death. death. <laughs> basically, what would happen is that when somebody was accused of a crime, that person could only give them the death penalty, which was very interesting. And so that symbolism is like Jesus saying, "No, I am the one that's in control of that, and I have the power of that." So that's just a little spice. Um, and also the fact that he's covered with the blood before the battle kind of shows that he already died for our sins and came back. And so he's already he's already conquered that, y'all. So he's like, I'm already bloodied up. You can't even do anything worse. So sh- shove it up your butt. 
I don't think Jesus said that, but maybe. <laughs> um. So basically, Armageddon is not going to be a bloodbath. It's not going to be a crazy giant war. This is kind of where uh, kind of we are. I'm able to understand a little bit more of that. Jesus already died for his enemies and now holds them accountable, and so he's gonna just wipe it all out. He's like enemies wiped out. There, it's not even gonna be like really like trying to fight. Jesus is gonna be like, bye. <laughs> snap his fingers, everyone's for dead. real. The second part calls, talks about the martyrs vindicated, and so we aren't. This is kind of where things get a little bit confusing because this is talks about the thousand years, and we're kind of like thousand years. What does that mean? Is that in God's time or is that in our time? Like, what does this mean? And so basically, it says that the martyrs are brought back to life. Um, for a thousand years with Jesus. And so this also talks about, the kind of like touches on Holly and I's possible theory of when we die, are we asleep or do we go straight to heaven? I don't know, because they're brought back to life. What does that mean? And so some people think that it is a literal sequence that um, it is Jesus brings the martyrs back and then everyone else comes back. But some people believe that it's just a symbol of Jesus' present victory. Uh, that it's just like a really cool, like, he doing it. He's doing good idea. So then, basically, Jesus will return as king and destroy evil and rule forever. Yeah. And the, the final battle, too, comes in. And basically what happens is that the dragon, the serpent, Satan, the beast, all these different names to represent Satan, uh, rallies the nations of the world to rebel against God's kingdom. But all, all them evil peoples face the consequences of eternal defeat. And all those who don't want to participate are destroyed. And the way the Bible project described this was eternally quarantined. And I thought that was so ironic compared to, like, what everyone just went through. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. That would Eternal suck. quarantine. So, y'all, run after Jesus. Well, and that's so then, what hell is, though. Eternal separation from the presence of God. Quarantine. And so, it's, like, that's a good word. So, then... We got the last part, which is the which is the most hopeful, I think, part of the Bible. Yeah. It's the marriage of heaven and earth. And so basically the angel shows John a bride to symbolize the new creation and marry God forever. So God basically makes all things new. He is like, we're going to make a new heaven, we're going to make a new earth. That's when heaven and earth come together. It's just a really cool, I can't wait to see what it looks like. It's going to be amazing. It's basically also a kaleidoscope of Old Testament promises. It's the promises that the Lord has had since the beginning um, with the Garden of Eden. Like that, God created the Garden of Eden for us, and we messed up, and we um, tainted its purity and its beauty. And so there's going to be a brand new Garden of Eden for us to live and to thrive. Um, And also a new Jerusalem that God talked about. And what's interesting is that there's not going to be a temple um, like the, like the Israelites, like they're, I don't know, they're obsessed with temples. They're like, let's make a temple for everything. And so God's like, no <laughs> temple this time guys, because the presence of God and the lamb, AKA Jesus now permeate every square inch of the world and rule as God's image. And so a lot of people, I used to read revelation in this way, or like whenever I read verse from revelation, I would be scared. I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. This is not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed what? to be <laughs> It's supposed to be a vision that brings hope and redemption to the church. Um, it's supposed to just be a encouragement of what is going to happen in our future um, and how we're going to be able to thrive together as Christians and thrive with Jesus. And it's God's promise that Jesus will return and remove evil from his world and make all things new. Amen. That is the book of Revelation. It's basically just, I feel like a revelation summed up in one sentence is like, this is Jesus pulling back the curtain of like, look at all these crappy things that are going to happen, but I already won, so it's going to be fine. Yeah. 
It's basically the book of Revelation. Seriously. It's it's beautiful. You guys need to read it. It's so fascinating. Even when you don't understand what you're reading at the time, you're just like, what the dump? Like, it kind of makes me wonder, like, what was John seeing? Like, I can't wait to to go sit in your Pop VHS. In VHS, 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 VHS <laughs> I'm going to have one. I want oh, it so word. bad. Well, guys, um... This is our last episode in the Studying the Bible and the I'm Saved Now What series. That's crazy. I'm going to be honest. My brain is tired. I know. All this, like, I'm ready to talk about some life stuff. Don't worry, y'all. The heaviness is not going to go away. We're just going to get even deeper in there. (laughs) Um, But I want to take a second and talk about just what we're planning on doing in the future. I've already kind of said this a little bit, but I want to reiterate this because I'm really excited. Um, So basically... Uh, we have our new series coming up, which is Struggling with Sin, and so it's going to be a mixture of sins, um, kind of in this next series, and my goal with this is because, you know, I'm a sinful creature, but I don't deal with every single sin. Um, there are some sins that I just, I don't particularly struggle with, but I know people that do, or I, what we're, I want us to talk about and be honest with, and so my goal is to have somebody on the podcast every single week that struggles, at least one of, one person struggles with that particular sin because I feel like it's unfair for me to speak into sin that I don't particularly struggle with um and so I'm really excited to be able to use this opportunity to bring on more guests and more people um and to really expand on vulnerability and authenticity on this podcast because I feel like the first I don't know uh 10 weeks of us doing this holy crap um has been really great but it's been more so knowledge-based which I think is important but I'm excited to get more into like the this is our hearts, this is our story, um, kind of based idea, um, and then Holly and I have recently come up with this idea, um, to do many episodes on drinking coffee, yeah, so we just got our fun little pour over thing, that's super cool, and we want to start trying, doing many episodes where we drink coffee and tell you what it is, how it is, and, Maybe we'll answer questions on those or, like, do life updates or something. Yes, but those will, those will be, like, mini episodes. I don't know when we'll start those, but maybe we'll, I don't know. But we're going to do that. That's going to be really fun. Um, and, yeah, you guys know, if you guys ever need anything, you can reach out to us on our Instagram, at Caffeinated Christians Podcast. Um, stay tuned for that for updates and fun little things and just stuff about our lives. I like to post some funny stuff on there all the time. So That's true check us out there but we hope that you guys really were able to learn a lot during this series um these podcasts are always up for you to go back and to revisit and to relearn and to refresh um and yeah i guess that's all i have to say so with that being said i'm emma i'm holly and, and we'll, we'll catch, catch you on the flippity flop, flop.